good evening. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2 tonight. If you want to flip over there in your Bibles. Last week, David began a series of lessons we're going to be doing on the book of Nehemiah. We're going through it chapter by chapter. And so we're going to be in chapter 2 tonight. But I wanted to start off by looking back a little bit at last week at a, a statement in particular that I thought really summed up the lesson really well. And it's this uh, phrase here, the easiest thing to do is nothing. The easiest thing to do is nothing. And that was, again, something that was said last week. Um, when Nehemiah in chapter 1 got message that the walls in Jerusalem were broken down, dilapidated, he felt sad about it. He was distraught that his people were there without any uh, type of protection, and the walls were seen as, as a protection and strength of a city, and the walls in Jerusalem had been burnt down, had been destroyed. And when Nehemiah heard of it, he felt terrible about it. He felt sad. And, and for us as Christians, when there's something that needs to be done, or, or there's somebody in need, or some, uh, some type of need needs to get done, a lot of times we can get complacent, we can get comfortable. It's really easy for us to, especially those who have been Christians for quite a while, it's easy for us to just kind of get caught in maybe a routine and get comfortable and not do anything. And that's, what, that's the easiest thing to do is nothing. You know, it's easy to just stay put and not act because sometimes it ma makes us get out of our comfort zone and, and get out of our bubble and do things we may not necessarily do all the time. Um, or, or be uncomfortable with, but we have to sometimes. And that's kind of, uh, in, in the Christian life, we're, we're called to do some things that may make us uncomfortable. Um, and Nehemiah, he, he felt deeply about his people. And that's just, I think, one part about it is feeling. When there's a need, when somebody's in need, or there's a need that needs to be met, feeling for it is one part about it. But that's not necessarily enough. There's another step, and that's acting. That's acting on that feeling. You see a need, and you feel that you, something needs to get done, and then you act. I've heard compassion defined as seeing. You see the need, you feel for it, and then you act. And, and Nehemiah shows that here in chapter 2. He doesn't just feel bad for the walls being dilapidated. He then takes action, and he's basically going to say, let's get to work. Let us arise and build, and that was the title of last week's lesson as well, but we'll see that here in chapter 2, that the work begins at Nehemiah's leadership. And so that's what we want to look at tonight uh, is, is in chapter 2. So let's consider a few things here. First of all, we want to uh, look at Nehemiah's request, Nehemiah's request. And we're going to actually start in chapter 1 at the end, and sometimes, unfortunately, our, our uh, verse uh, verses and chapters kind of make us split things up in the Bible, but we have to remember in the original language there were no chapters, there were no verses, um, and so the the book just continues on right into chapter two, and so we want to pick up at the end of chapter one, starting in uh, verse eleven, and then we'll move into chapter two. Here's what it says, starting in one verse eleven. Oh Lord, this is Nehemiah praying. I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, 
So the king said to me, why is your face sad though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. So that's kind of where David left off last week. The first few verses we, we read there. Nehemiah is praying to God and he's asking for success before this man. He's asking for success before the king, King Artaxerxes. He's going to make a request of him, and we'll read of that request here in just a second. But he's, he's asking God for success here before King Artaxerxes. And remember, he's the, he's the cupbearer, so he goes before the king to do his job. But the king noticed something wasn't right. right? Nehemiah, again, he's sad that the walls are broken down back in Jerusalem. And he's upset about that. And he's, he's sad, and the king can tell something is wrong. Now, what you see there at the last uh, phrase there, then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah is scared here. And the reason is it wasn't a, a, a good thing or a customary thing to be sad in the presence of the king. When you came before the king to do your job, you were not supposed to be sad. In his commentary on Nehemiah, Gene Getz says this, Nehemiah was careful in replying to, to the king. In fact, he was even afraid a servant was never to let his negative emotions show before the king, for it might suggest dissatisfaction with the king. To do so might jeopardize his position or even his life. Also, Nehemiah knew that his request was a bold one. A few years earlier, this king had stopped the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and now Nehemiah was going to ask that the order be reversed. So Nehemiah is likely afraid going before the king, and he notices that he's sad. The king says, what, what is this? This is sadness of the heart. Nehemiah normally wasn't sad before him. He says, he says that, I, I was never sad before the king, and now he is, and he likely knew that you're not supposed to be, so he's scared. He's afraid of what might happen to him. But also, if we go back to the book of Ezra, King Artaxerxes actually put a stop to the rebuilding there in the, in the book of Ezra. Uh, now, it was really due to some other guys who were really be, uh, trying to put a halt to it, some adversaries of, of these people, of the Israelites, trying to rebuild Eventually, the building did continue, but nonetheless, it did stop in the book of Ezra under King Artaxerxes, and maybe that's what Nehemiah is thinking about, too. Hey, he's done this before, and now I'm asking him to go back and rebuild, and maybe, maybe that's what he's thinking. But also, he's taking time off, you know, to, to go uh, and, and taking time off from his job as the cupbearer to go rebuild the walls. And so maybe he's thinking about all these things, and he's afraid of what's going to happen. Now, something very important to note. These events, if you look at verse 1, it came about in the month Nisan, okay? These events in this chapter take place in the month of Nisan. Now, the previous chapter, chapter 1, took place in the month Kislev. That's in verse 2 of chapter 1. Now, it happened in the month Kislev in the 20th year. Kislev is four months before Nisan. So, Nehemiah has been thinking about these dilapidated walls. He's been thinking about the, the people there in Jerusalem with the dilapidated walls and the broken down walls for four months. He's been thinking about going before the king and making this request of him for four months. And I don't think this shows procrastination on Nehemiah's part. I think it shows careful attention to what he's about to do. He's waiting for the right time to ask of the king. And so four months go by, and no doubt he's praying, and we're going to see that here in just a minute. But uh, we have to remember that. This is four months later, 
from chapter 1. Chapter 1 is in Kislev, chapter 2 is in Nisan. And so four months have passed since he first heard of those walls. So now we're going to see what Nehemiah actually requested in Nehemiah 2, 3 through 5. Here's what it says. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. We finally see Nehemiah's request come out, and you, you, we already knew this, but he's, go, he's asking the king to go back to rebuild, and in particular, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah, again, didn't just feel sad. We saw that in chapter 1. He felt so sad that the walls were broken down and that the people were there without protection. But here we finally see he's wanting to act. He's wanting to go further. He didn't just feel sad and leave it there. He purposed in his heart to go back and rebuild. He was going to lead this mission in the rebuilding of the walls. Now notice what it says there when he asked the king uh, to go back to, to the city of his father's tombs. And he act, it actually says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Right in the middle of this, he prays. Now, we don't get the contents of Nehemiah's prayer here. But as he's talking, com conversating with the king, he's also lifting up a prayer to God. I think that's an amazing thing. And again, what's important is this is four months after the events of chapter 1, when Nehemiah had first learned about the walls in Jerusalem being torn down. I, I think that Nehemiah all this time had been praying, had been thinking about this, this mission to go back. And he's continuing to pray here, even in the presence of the king. And so he makes his request known to go back. And now we want to see what the king says here, starting in verse 6. So let's, that was Nehemiah's request to go back and rebuild the walls. And now we're going to see the king's response to Nehemiah's request, starting in verse 6. Here's what it says. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it pleased the king, the, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of God, my God, was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So we see here Nehemiah asks to go back and he is successful in this uh, request. And you see the king responds very favorably to, to Nehemiah's request. Now, I want to point out real quick, I don't think it's any coincidence that Nehemiah prayed to God on several occasions and then things worked out for him. I think, I, I, it's not just me thinking actually, it's what the text really tells us. Nehemiah notices that it's because God's good hand was upon him that he was granted favor here. And this is something so important that God, uh, Nehemiah sees God's hand in all of it. Because of the good hand of my God was on me. And that's what he says in verse 8. The king granted them to me because the good hand of my God 
was upon me. Nehemiah saw God's hand at work through it all. And you see the king, he, he not only allowed Nehemiah to go rebuild, he allowed him to pass through his provinces with ease. He gave him letters to pass through all these provinces. He gave him a letter to, to Asaph, the keeper of the forest, for the wood to rebuild. And so the king responds very favorably. And again, God's behind all of this. And Nehemiah has been praying to him and God's been listening. And we also see the king uh, sends officers and horsemen likely to protect Nehemiah and those with him on his journey. This is not a close, tra uh, close distance. All right? I believe it's 800 miles away is where uh, Nehemiah's travel, something like that. Uh, I think that's what I read. Uh, but it's not close. And nobody back then had heard of 75 miles an hour. Or if you're Rob Hayes here, 100 miles an hour on the roads, all right? So this is going to be a long journey. And so uh, the king sends with him these, these horsemen and others to, to keep him safe. Now, you see in verse 10 there, early on in this rebuilding process, Nehemiah meets opposition. Right? Nehemiah meets opposition. It says, when Sanballat the Horonite... And Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about it. It was very displeasing to them that someone had come back to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. And we're going to see these guys. You have to keep these guys in mind because they're going to keep coming up in the text. They are going to oppose the rebuilding in Jerusalem. We'll see them later in the chapter as well. We don't get a whole lot about uh, these two in, in the Bible. But clearly, um, Tobiah is an Ammonite official. He's got some type of, of power in uh, the Persian kingdom. Uh, he's some type of official, uh, and, and he's going to oppose it. Uh, now, an extra-biblical source, a source outside the Bible, actually mentions a Sanballat as the governor of Samaria, and so maybe it's the same guy. But it seems that these two guys have some type of uh, authority in, in some way, and they're going to oppose the building of uh, the, the walls in Jerusalem. And we'll see these guys come back, and we'll talk about them here in a, in a little bit. Now, last thing we want to look at before we move into some more application stuff is Nehemiah's charge. He finally gets to Jerusalem, and he's going to charge the people. Here's what it says, starting in verse 11. And this will be a, a bit of a lengthy reading here. But Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 says this. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem, and there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. And we'll pick up there in just a second. But what ended up happening is Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, and you see what he does? He's there for three days, but then he gets up in the night, and he goes out, and he's inspecting the walls. Basically, Nehemiah is taking inventory of what needed to, to be done. He's the one who's going to, to propose this big project before all these people, all the exiles that have returned. And so he goes out and he, he's basically formulating a plan in his mind. He's inspecting what's been broken down, what needs to be fixed here, what needs to be fixed there. And I think with any big project within the church, 
or any project anywhere, it takes planning. And Nehemiah steps up and he goes out and he inspects the walls before he even does anything else. He takes inventory. Okay, what do we need to do? And he's trying, basically fixing up a plan in his mind. And that's basically what we see here in these, uh, these verses that we just read. But then, ver- verses 17 and 18, here's what it says. Nehemiah, then I, Nehemiah says this, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. So Nehemiah goes out and he inspects these walls and then he charges the people. He says, hey, listen, I've done this. Our walls are broken down. You can see how they're so desolate, how they're burned with fire. Let's get to work. Let's start building. And what's so amazing about this is the people's response. What does it say they did? They said, let us arise and build, and they put their hands to the work. There's no deliberation here. There's no hesitation. When Nehemiah presents his his, uh, request to them to rebuild the wall, his plan to rebuild the wall, the people get to work immediately. There's no waiting. There's no uh, just kind of lollygagging around. No, they get to work rebuilding the walls. So, and we'll come back to this in a, in a few minutes as well. But it's just amazing that these people get to work. But I also want to, to point out Nehemiah's leadership. And this is something that's going to come out in this book over and over and over again. Nehemiah takes the lead and he, he pushes the people to do something. And they follow him. And, and I think also the good hand of his God was on him. And he tells them how God had been favorable to him back in Persia. And, and you could see God's hand through it all. And Nehemiah believed God was working in it and everything. And so he pushes the people and the people get to work. But to finish up the chapter, we see these, two, these guys again who are going to oppose the building. Here's what it says. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab, there's another one here, Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. So again, from the very beginning, the people are going to meet opposition. And it's very easy when we meet opposition to quit, but but we'll see these people just continue. But notice what Nehemiah says. God will give us success. It's not... We might be successful or, you know, hey, y'all need to leave. Get out of here. No, God will give us success. He's going to be faithful and he's going to give us success in this mission. And I love the, that phrase there. But that's kind of the, the, the end of the chapter there. Basically, a, a quick summary. Nehemiah finally goes before the king to request to go back to rebuild the walls. He's, he is successful in that request. The king allows him to go back. He inspects the walls and he presents his plan to the people to rebuild the walls the people get to work, but they meet opposition very, very quickly. Now, three points very quickly, and then we will, we will be done tonight. I want us to take note of a few things, a few lessons in this chapter, kind of application, but also application for us uh, as we go about doing things, as we go about getting to work here in the church. Number one, I want us to take note of Nehemiah's prayers. 
And this is something David said last week. Throughout the book, notice how many times Nehemiah prays. And just in the, the, the couple chapters we've been in, he's prayed already, tw- both times in, the chap- in each chapter. He's prayed. I, Nehemiah is clearly a firm believer in prayer. He went to God in prayer with a heartfelt prayer in chapter 1, and he continued to do it in chapter 2. But here's what, where it's a little bit different in chapter 2. We, I've kind of already made note of this, but look what Nehemiah 2 verse 4 says. In the context of talking to the king about going back to Jerusalem, he says this. It says this, Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I think sometimes uh, we think prayer has to be this long, drawn-out process, alone in a room or you know, all by ourselves, and it's got to be something really, really long where we can devote a lot of time to. And absolutely, we do need to be praying in our rooms and behind closed doors in a, in a deep way and in a, very, a long way and pouring out a lot of things to God. But we can pray at all times. There's never a, a bad time to pray, ever. And, and it, I think Nehemiah beautifully uh, exhibits uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Pray without ceasing. Any chance it seems that Nehemiah got, he's lifting up something to God. And and even in in this conversation with somebody, with the king, he prayed to the God of of heaven. And and I don't know what the prayer was, but I I believe it's probably something about being successful again. Like, God, please help me in this situation. Please, Please help me be favorable before the king here. I think we could take note of this, that in our lives... As we go about our day, we should be lifting up prayers to God. And it doesn't have to be something long. It could be something simple as God help me here. God help me make the right decision. God help me not do the wrong thing. God help me to do this. God be with me in that. And it, that could be it. We could lift something up to God. But I also think just in our work here as, as, as followers of Christ, prayer has to be at the center of, of everything that we do. Because I think we understand God answers prayer. And I, I think prayer is something that is, is really underestimated. Uh, and I know we talk about it a lot, but it's something that is so powerful. The God of heaven is listening when we go to him. And not just listening, he moves to act. And so when we have a job that we're going to undertake, praying must, must be a part of it. That needs to be the first thing that we do. And we're, we're doing a project at the nursing home in a, in a couple weeks. And we're going to do more pro- service projects. We need to be praying about those things to reach people, to be successful in those things. Just like Nehemiah prayed. We need to trust in prayer because God answers prayer. So that's the first thing I wanted to point out is Nehemiah's prayer. Secondly, I wanted to point out the people's willingness to work. We need people who are willing to work in the church. And again, the easiest thing to do is nothing. It's to just stay still and to not break out of our comfort zone and and get to work. But Nehemiah called the people to work. He said, let's get to work. And you know what they did? They got to work. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18 says this. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we're in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. 
Again, when Nehemiah presents this idea, there's no hesitation, there's no deliberation. They get to work. What about us? When there's a service project or when there's a need that needs to be met in the church, do we have people who are just eager to get to work? And I have seen it here at Creekwood where people are willing to work. But I know even in my life, there are times when I see a need that needs to be met. And I'm, I say, well, somebody else could maybe do that. You know, somebody else could take care of that job or this job. But God needs people to step up and take care of the job. Instead of passing it on, we need to be willing to step up and do the work. And I'm not saying we have to do every single thing, every single job within the church. That, that's not possible. But wherever you're able to help, help. Whatever you're able to do, get to work. And I see the, the, the people here, they get to work when Nehemiah pushes them. But I also see in Nehemiah himself a willingness to work. Nehemiah inspected the walls that night. He went out and formulated a plan. He went out and told the people, hey, let's get to work. It sometimes takes somebody to, to plan and, and put together something and push others to it. And, and obviously, you know, me, David, and Blaine, and others, we love to put together things and, and push those things. But there's nothing stopping a member of the church putting something together and, and telling others, hey, let's get to work. Let's do something here. Let's do something there. Let's go visit these people over here. Let's do this project over there. It doesn't necessarily have to come from, from us, although many times it does. Anybody can get to work in, in any way if it's, it's, if it's helping somebody, if it's serving in God's kingdom. And so we've got to be willing to work. We've got to be motivated and, and stop being uh, comfortable in our bubbles. We've got to break out and get to work. Finally, I want us to note Nehemiah's approach to opposition. Nehemiah 2, 19 to 20. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, that they were rebuilding the wall. They mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. You know, at this point, when they met opposition for rebuilding the wall, it would have been really easy for them to say, you know what, forget this. This is just, we're already meeting opposition from the very beginning we have people who are telling us not to do this. They're despising us. They're mocking us. It's really easy to, to say and to crack under the pressure and say, you know what, let's just stop and let's move on to something else. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. He responds in a, in a respectful way. He says, listen, God's going to grant us success and you have no right or portion here in Jerusalem. Nehemiah addressed that opposition respectfully. And he says, no, we're going to keep working because God's behind this. God's at work, and we're not just going to stop because we're meeting some opposition. And so for us as, as Christians, when we get to work in a job, when we're telling others about Christ, it can be easy to stop when we, when we meet opposition. But we have to meet opposition respectfully, and we have to meet opposition with a mindset that we're going to push through it, that we're going to keep going. And they keep meeting opposition, and they keep going. But what about us? Do we keep going when we meet opposition? Are we willing to, to face the problems and continue going on? Those are the, the three things I wanted to point out to you tonight. Nehemiah's prayers, the people's willingness to work, and then Nehemiah's approach to opposition.
Folks, there's so many lessons that we can get from the, the book of Nehemiah. But I hope something tonight uh, stood out to you and helped you. This is a beautiful book, a lot about leadership, and I'm sure we're going to get into some more of that. But I want to say one final thing. Let's get to work. Just like Nehemiah told these people, let's get to work. Let's get to work. Let's start telling others about Jesus Christ. Let's start serving people. Let's do anything that we can to grow the kingdom of God. If you have any need tonight, we hope that you will come forward. If you want to join in his kingdom and start working, we pray, we hope and pray that you'll do so. If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.